Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Reske. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, welcome back to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. I'm joined with two of my good friends, Randy and Ali. And we are going to discuss John chapter 21 tonight, which is uh, the book of John is the Gospel of John is like one of the greatest books of the Bible. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. I don't know. What about you guys? What do you think, Randy? What do you think about the Gospel of John? Well, it's absolutely one of my favorite books, and uh, there's just so much unique stuff in it. It's so different than than uh, the other Gospels. Um, yeah, I mean, this from whether the I am statements or, uh, you know, Jesus talking about life and light and love. So, yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible, uh, incredible book of the Bible. Yeah, so Ali, how are you tonight? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. What I do remember from John 21 is in the very early days when we met and we were doing Bible study, I remember you shared the story of the the fish. The fish story is in the John chapter 21. Yes. Where Jesus goes uh, fishing with other, other people. So I still remember that story and how much uh, impact it left on me when you shared. And those are like... I remember it was 2017, November 2017, when we when you used to pick up in that uh, huge white van and take all of us and then do the Bible study together later. So that's that's where I remember that, you know, we did that, we did that, the Bible study and you shared the story. That's amazing. It's amazing because I don't remember that. I mean, I remember... <laughs> I remember picking it, picking you guys up in the van and everything, but I don't remember specifically studying that passage, but it's so cool that you remember that, Ali. It, yes. it is one of the, it's a really cool chapter. And here's the thing that's kind of interesting, guys, is if you look at that, if you look at the end of chapter 20 of the book of John, it's almost like he ended the book because the very last two verses, he kind of summarizes his whole purpose in writing it. So if you look at John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, it says that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so I, I love that verse 31, that very last verse. You know, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's like the perfect ending to a book. But for some odd reason, he writes another chapter. And I don't know, off the top of your head, Randy, do you have any ideas why John would write another chapter? Well, it's interesting because in one of the commentaries I recently looked at on this, uh, there was some disagreement about that and why. But one of the things that they said is that, that uh, the author believed that the same author, John, when he had finished, realized there was something he wished he had said. And so it was almost like a P.S. in a letter, like, oh, and by the way. And so it almost has that feel to it, that John, the author, was thinking, oh, 
and and we understand that the scriptures are, are double authored that god doesn't take away the author's ability to write but speaks through those authors to us in the scriptures and so uh just as one thought greg is that john realized hey there's more i want to say and maybe that's how we get the story of peter yeah i think i agree with that i think that I think that John realized, well, let's put it this way. If you didn't have John chapter 21, it would be kind of interesting because um, the end of book of John, end of John, the next book chronologically is Acts. Um, so in, in the book of Acts, you see Peter as a hero and he's preaching and thousands of people are turning to, to Jesus. He's doing all these great things. And if he didn't write John chapter 21, it might, people might be scratching their heads a little bit because they might be like, well, wait a minute. The last time I heard about Peter, he denied Jesus three, three times and he looked like a utter, utter failure. And so it does seem like John, after he wrote the end of chapter 20, he um, was inspired to kind of um, explain what happens with Peter. And that's what makes this uh, chapter so exciting. So I'm going to go ahead and we're just going to read a little, um, read some and then then make some comments on it. So chapter 21, it says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, okay, there you go. Peter's on the scene. Thomas, also known as Didymus. Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Now, right there, I just want to make a comment. There's seven disciples present at this meeting. And if you know anything about the book of John, for some reason, the, the number seven is a, is a very important number to him because there's like the seven miracles of John, the seven I am statements of John. And here you have seven disciples gathered together um, at this meeting. And then... Uh, in verse three, Jesus or, or Peter says, I'm going out to fish. Um, and they said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So let's stop there for a second. What do you, you I don't know if you have any thoughts about Peter um, saying, I'm going out to fish. You know, before he started following Jesus, Peter was a fisherman. That was his like that was his uh uh career livelihood. yeah yeah his livelihood and uh do you think there's anything here that you know when he says i'm going out to fish and then and then uh and then the other guy said yeah we'll go join you i i think a couple of things i think peter's been through so much right now um with the denial of christ and the crucifixion and and now the stories of the resurrection. And I think Peter just wanted to go do something he knew. I think he wanted to go back and do something that was comfortable. I've actually heard some people talk about that this was right for Peter to do. And other people have thought this was wrong, that Peter was going back to rely on himself. I, I get the idea that Peter just wanted uh, some peace. You know, he's out on the lake. There's no one around. Uh, he can fish and doing something he's known and done his whole life. And 
maybe spend some time thinking, but I, I, I get the idea that Peter just wants to kind of do something he knows so that because it's been so intense and so hard the last couple of weeks. So you don't feel like it was either right or wrong. It was just, he was doing what he knows. He was, he was, uh, yeah, you know, one, th one thing to, one thing that you see in this passage is how Peter is a leader. Um, because he says, I'm going to, I'm going to fish. And all, immediately the other guys say, well, I want to go with you. Um, I'm coming with you. And I think we, Peter gets a bad rap. I heard a guy <laughs> say recently that, um, in heaven, there's going to be a lot of pastors that are going to have to apologize to Peter because, you know, because of, we, we tend to throw Peter under the bus, um, especially with those three denials. But if you remember back to that, that night when uh, Judas identifies Jesus uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter had a sword with him and he was willing, he was willing to die for Jesus. So he had a tremendous amount of courage um, at that point. And, and, you know, he didn't have, he wasn't a good swordsman because he ended up cutting the guy's ear instead of like hurting him. But, and then Jesus healed the guy's ear. But I think we, we often will just kind of make paint Peter out to be sort of a coward, but we, we've got to remember he was a, he was very courageous. And even here you see his leadership ability. Randy, what did you want to say? No, thanks, Greg. I, I, two things. One, Peter's the only one that went to the trial of Jesus. Um, he's the only one that's there. And so you can talk about, yeah, he denied Christ, but he did. He was in the courtyard. He was there. Like, you got to give him a little credit for that. But the thing that impacts me on this is in the in. As John writes, the end of chapter 20, he's talking about Thomas. Now, Thomas has also done some incredible things. Like at one point, he says, let's go back to Bethany where we can die with Jesus. He's willing to go be with Jesus and die. But what is Thomas known for? Doubting Thomas, right? That I won't believe unless I can put my fingers in the holes of, of his side. The last thing he does in verse chapter 20 is... John recognizes where Thomas says, Jesus, my Lord and my God. So Thomas kind of redeems himself a little bit here, too. The very next passage is the story about Peter's reconciliation. Like, So John's ending with both of these guys kind of like uh, showing there's a different side to both of them. That's a great point. That's a great point. So let's continue on in verse four. It says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. Now, this is the resurrected Jesus. This is after he rose from the dead. He stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. So he called out to them. This is kind of interesting, that what he says to them. He says, friends, haven't you any fish? Which I guess, you know, people will say, that's the last thing you want to ask a fisherman, a group of fishermen. <laughs> because if you're, if you're a fisherman, you know, a lot of times, most of the time, you're not really catching many fish, but... You 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 don't want to have to tell people that you haven't caught anything yet. Um, so they say no. They answered, and then he said, "Well, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some." And here's the amazing thing: they did it. So when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because it because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, said to Peter, "It is the Lord." 
As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the, the net of, full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire burning, a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So what stands out to you from these verses? Mm, I feel like <clears throat> Jesus kind of knew that they're not going to get any fish. So that is what really stands out to me, that he actually knows everything that's happening and everything that's going to happen. That's why he go he goes and said that, you know, throw the net on the other side. That's where the fish is. Now, what I'm confused about, or maybe I, I'm not sure about is, did he put the fish there or did he knew that the <laughs> fishes are there? <laughs> <laughs> that is a good question. That's a great question. Well, let's back up a second. Some people will say there's two miracles in this passage. The first miracle is that they obeyed him. You know, because fishermen tend to be um, pretty stubborn people. They, they, especially if you're if you are a professional fisherman, you tend to know where the fish are, when to when to fish, and they had already fished on the one side of the boat and didn't catch anything. So when some at this point a stranger at, says throw it on the other side of the boat, apparently these nets were not easy to move around, and so it was a big deal that for them to like chain, move the nets to the other side of the boat. And the fact that they did it is like the first miracle people will, some, some have said. And then the second miracle is the, is a miraculous catch that they caught 153 <laughs> fish, which um, that's kind of interesting that they counted them. Um, and there's different theories about that. Yeah. This, that's what I was also wondering, like why 153, why that number? I was also wondering why that specific number. Well, I think that um, because that's how many they caught. Um, so if you were to if you were to catch, if you were a fisherman, I mean, they'd never never probably caught this many fish in their life, and so it would make you want to count them, you know. So so my my first inclination is that the reason it's a it says one hundred fifty three is because they caught one hundred fifty three, but there are other theories to that. Like there's a theory that at that time. It was known. It was known that there were 153 different types of fish. Um, in some journal, some sort of um, ancient fisherman journal. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard this theory, Randy. Um, I have. Yeah. Yeah, and that, and so it basically because the fish sort of represent what they're going to be doing, um, the way they're going to impact people, like. Um, that 
God is going to change, you know, he's going to make them from fisher, fishers of fish to fishers of men. And he wants them to reach men of every tribe, nation, tongue, language. And so basically everybody, you know, the good news of Jesus is for everybody. So here you have, if this is true, that 153 represents every known different type of fish, that it kind of is a, it points you towards the the fact that they were going to go on and try to reach all peoples from every every nation. I don't know that I buy that. My tendency is to think that the reason it says 153 is because they caught 153. But what what's amazing about that to me is that someone took the time to count them, and someone was so concerned. And so John, who wrote this. One, if you're a fisherman, you want to tell everybody, you know how fishing stories get bigger and bigger. Like I caught the it started, but John wants to be so accurate in what he writes. And in many ways, this gives me confidence that what John is writing is accurate because he wants to be accurate to the point of the exact number of fish that were caught. And I thought about it, like as a fisherman, he would remember that. John was a fisherman as well, and he would remember that was unbelievable. We caught 153. Like, that's incredible. But to me, the fact that he was so precise in that he recorded that number, he could have said it was just a huge number, like, right? Yeah. And that would have been accurate. It would have been right. But he counted them one by one. And to me, that's telling me how precise. It gives me confidence in the gospel that this is accurate. Well, there's so many details that he mentions. I mean, he mentions, look at verse nine. He says, when they landed, they already saw a fire of burning coals with fish on it with some bread. Now, it's kind of interesting. Jesus was already cooking fish. Uh, you know, he already had fish. So he, he didn't need fish. He didn't need, you know, um, and there's just, there's so much detail in here. Um it mentions, you know, that Peter had taken off his garment and uh, how he had to put it back on and jumped in, when he jumped into the water and how they didn't even recognize who Jesus was until, uh, you know, verse seven, John says to Peter, it's the Lord. So there's some really cool um, detail here. Um, well, if we hit that. So first of all, why would they recognize him? I mean, he's he's been crucified like i they're in in um they've left jerusalem and so i think for them it was like hey i just want to get out on the water i don't you know they're looking across the lake trying to see who it is i wouldn't i don't know that they would have expected jesus to be there but if you go to luke 5 uh starting at verse 4 i think this story mirrors the call of the disciples. So this was how Peter came to follow Jesus. Isn't it interesting? This is how Jesus reinstates Peter, but it's just like when he first called them. In Luke 5, you know, Peter's preaching and, he, you know, they worked all night and hadn't caught a fish. And then Jesus sends him back out, which is amazing that he was willing to go back out after cleaning his nets and working all night. And he hauls in a huge catch. I think that's incredible. And and one other thing, uh, Greg, I was going to mention, I've heard a lot of people make a lot out of the fact that 
Jesus put on his clothes to jump in the or Peter put on his clothes to jump in the water. And how funny that is to us. But if you imagine, he probably had one set of clothes. And so if he's fishing at nighttime, he doesn't want to ruin his only good clothes, the only clothes he has. So he takes them off, basically fishing in his in his boxers. And so he fishes at night. Um, he's fishing. And when he realizes Jesus, he's not going to jump in and leave the only clothes he has behind. If that's all you have, you, you know, you keep it with you. Right. So he grabs it and puts it back on and jumps in the, I, to me, it makes total sense. It's like, you know, he, he was he had one set of clothes. He was going to, he didn't want to ruin them at night. And now he's jumping in the water to go to Jesus. But I love the fact that Peter was going to do whatever he had to do to get to Jesus. I love that. Yeah. I also heard another commentator make a, uh, make the point in verse nine, it says that, you know, they saw, uh, this fire with burning coals and fish on it, the, 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 the whole idea of the fire and burning coals, the last time Peter was around fire and burning coals was, was when he denied Jesus, um, you know, when he was trying to warm himself by the fire there. But um, yeah, it's an amazing, and this is where it gets really um, interesting um, as we move into verse 15. So, he and basically Jesus invites these seven disciples to breakfast, but he has a special reason for doing it. And it's really all about Peter. So we pick up in verse 15, it says, when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Um, let's stop there for just one second. Um, so Jesus is asking Simon, do you love me more than these? What do you think that these is? more than these fish or more than is he pointing to the fish or is he pointing to the other disciples with him? Does it even matter? Any thoughts? I feel like, I feel like he is referring to the disciples. I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but that's what I feel like. And it's, it's kind of interesting that if you look at uh, every time you know, Jesus is having a conversation with one of his disciples or any other person. He actually knows the answer <laughs> before he asks the question. But he is striking a conversation to teach a lesson. That's how I feel like after, yes. after reading it, which is very nice. Because, like, imagine if any other person, including me, and, you know, sometimes uh, when you know the answer, you actually just jump to the answer instead of, like, trying to find a path to explain the whole idea you can't do that but jesus had that wisdom and i think that's why he was such a great teacher that he knew how to teach yeah oh you're he's he was amazing amazing teacher yeah um so when he says do you love me more than these let's just explore these two possibilities let's say let's say for example it was the fish let's say mm -hmm. that Jesus is standing around the fire and he says, do you love me more than these? And he's pointing to the pile of 153 fish. Okay. What would he be communicating to Peter? He's, he, he, he may basically pointing out to him, like, you know, you were a fisherman. That was your, that was your identity. That was your job. That was your career is, is fishing for fish. Um, and, you know, so maybe Jesus is saying, you know, 
do you love me more than oh. than your your job? You oh, know? I think yeah. Now that I re I've read a little bit further, I realize that it's the fishes. Yeah. Well, I don't. I actually, <laughs> Ali. I I think I don't. I would say I don't know. I really? don't know what you would say, Randy, if you have a strong conviction one way or the other. Because I think both of them, I think actually both of them, there's good cases for both of them. And I'm not sure that it matters whether it was the fish or the other disciples. So, Randy, you're on mute. Of course I am. Sorry <laughs> about that. No, in verse 21 at the end of this chapter, when Jesus is asking him three times, do you love me? Peter points to John and says, well, what about him? Like, and he's comparing himself. And so that makes me think that Jesus is pointing to the disciples at this point saying, do you love me more? Because John's already got this comparison thing going, or I mean, sorry, Peter's got this comparison thing going and, and up to the point with John where he brings it up here at the end. So, uh, um, yeah, th that's my thought. But, you know, what's amazing okay. is, is that both of them uh, have a truth to them, don't they? They do. So, yeah. I mean, but, a, tru a truth that can apply to us today, because right. how many people find their identity or basically they love their job more than they love God? Not a lot. <laughs> you know, yeah. and how many of that, how many other people, you know, are constantly struggle with just comparing themselves and wanting to be somebody else rather than just accepting who they, who they are. And so, so um, I just want to, yeah, to go along your, your uh, line of thought, Randy, if he's pointing to the other disciples, do you love me more than these and pointing to the disciples? There's a good case for that because in the Gospels, remember how many times they, they were caught arguing who's the greatest? Right. <laughs> so these disciples were were very competitive with one another. And they were they, they were always like, well, I'm going to sit at the right hand of Jesus, you know. So they had this kind of competitiveness around them. So there's a strong case that it was the disciples. But I think both both of them illustrate a truth. And I guess if I if I had to guess, I would say that, that these represented the disciples. Um, but let me continue reading on, and then we'll keep talking about this. So it says, back to verse 15, when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, this time he just says, do you love me? He doesn't say, do you love me more than these? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate what kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. 
So let's pause there for a second. So there we go. Three times. So I don't know if you remember Ali, but in uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, right before Jesus um, goes to the cross, Peter denies him three times. Um, he People keep coming up to him and says, hey, you're, you were with Jesus, right? And he's like, no, I wasn't. And he, uh, he he denies them three times, and and actually, like you were mentioning earlier, Jesus already told Peter before he denied him one time. Jesus, Peter basically says to Jesus, "I'm ready to die for you. I'm I'm going. You know, I'm all in with you. I will. I'm willing to sacrifice my life for you." And then Peter, then Jesus turns to Peter and says, "Um." You you say that you're all in with me, but you're going to deny me three times. And yeah, he already so he, knew. He told him that he was going to deny him three times, and then hours later, he he does. He denies him three times, and then it says that um, on the third time, um, he he breaks down and, and weeps. So he was kind of a broken man. Um, kind of you could say he walked away from Jesus at that point. And, uh, you know, so, and I know, you know, Ali, you've gone through a, a short period of time where you walked away from Jesus. Um, and did you feel that way when you came back? Like, oh my gosh, you know, is he going to take me back? Is he going to still love me? Uh, I think there is always that doubt in your head where you feel like, <laughs> have I committed a, you know, unforgivable mistake where you feel like, but then you also think about it that God, you know, whatever mess up you make, God is always there for you. So, and I think sometimes as human beings, we also kind of take advantage of that where mm -hmm. we, we, you know, knowing that it's a sin, we still go ahead and commit it. And I think that's just the human in us. You know, mm. and it happens. Everybody has had that weak moment where even when you know that it's not the right thing to do, you end up doing it. And I think uh, God being the greatest still forgives us. So, yeah, I, yeah, it was also for me at that time, it was not about, you know, wondering where will God accept me again or not. It was more about redemption with God. So mm. I was not even thinking about, will God accept me? I just wanted him in my life rather than, you know, going to him. I wanted him in my life. And you could have that whenever you want. You can have God. You cannot have God for a very long time in your life. And then you can have him. It's not like God will ever deny you. You can deny God, but God will never deny you. And I think yes. that's, where the, that's where the difference really is. Because who's going to ever stop you from reading the Bible? You know, it's only yourself. No mm. one else can actually stop you if you are not, you know, if you're willing to find God, you know, you'll find him. That's what Jeremiah 29, 11 says, right? Yeah. So if, if you, you know, if you're willing to find God at whatever cost, you know, if you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. So you got to, so you cannot really be denied by God. You can deny God, but you cannot really be denied by him. So when yeah. I was like coming back to God, I was just like seeking him with all my heart and I found him. So there was no, uh, there was no process of, 
acceptance or rejection. It was always acceptance. That's awesome. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next episode. And remember, on your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace. And on your best days, you're never beyond the need of God's grace. See you next time.